Welcome to The Honest Uproar, a podcast where modern, child-free women share their life stories and where we discuss important topics for the kid-free community. I'm Isabel, your host and founder and firebrand of The Uprising Spark, a digital platform that offers life coaching products and services for modern, independent, child-free women. Our aim is to build a strong female community and to connect empowered women around the globe. You're a recovering cultural freak and excuse maker, and now you're working with clients who struggle with similar issues. Yes. And you're based out of Canada, somewhere near Toronto. Yes. So I want to know more about what made you decide to stop being a control freak and excuse maker. It's exhausting. (laughs) (laughs) It is, yes. (laughs) It is. And um, I think there just came a point where I realized that there was no way that I was ever going to be in control of everything and trying to get to that place of thinking that everything was going to be under my control was just a losing battle. It is, it is, it's, it is quite hard for anyone who wants to control everything around them to understand that I, I think absolutely, I, I would say that most of, most of the things are out of our control. Yeah. Exactly. And I think that once you get to that realization, it, um, you have to really ask yourself what it is you're trying to accomplish by trying to control everything because it is just, um, it's like spinning your wheels in mud. It's not going to get you anywhere. Yeah. And how long was this ago when you were like, oh, I might as well just try to <laughs> not do I, I would say that probably for the first um 30 odd years of my life, I was living that way. where I was trying to control everything. Like I was the kind of girl, like even when I was in university, it was, you know, everything was planned. You know what I mean? It was choosing the guy that I was going to date because he was safe and I could focus on my academics without getting too caught up in his craziness. Like it was, it was very much strategic like that. And I think that there comes a point where you realize that (laughs) there are always going to be things that are out of your control. And sometimes it's not only a good thing, but it's an, it can be an amazing experience as well to have the unexpected happen. And um, yeah, just getting to that point where you embrace the unexpected instead of trying to fight it. Yeah. But I think there is one thing that you can control and it's your attitude towards anything that happens to you. Yes. Agreed. And I think that's maybe one of the most important things that I have learned and I'm able to put into practice in my life. Would you say the same for you? Yes. Yeah. Because it takes um, takes a, a real weight off your shoulders, mm-hmm. letting go of that need to try to control everything. Yes, that is absolutely true. And you wrote a book Uh, You published it back in 2013 called Embrace Your Destiny, 12 Steps to Living the Life You Deserve. Yes. Tell me a little bit about that book. I would like to know more why, why you wrote it, what prompted you to write it and, and, you know, just tell me your story around this book. Sure. So I wrote the book because um, I wrote an article maybe a year prior to writing the book. I wrote an article um, that got published in a magazine and it was, sharing my journey after my father passed away because um, my father passed away just before my 30th birthday. And um, as much as I'm grateful for the time I had with him, I would have have 
loved to have more time with him and losing him because he was such a an important part of my life was devastating to me and there were things that happened my relationship with my mother was never the greatest and it completely fell apart after his passing and so i was dealing with almost the loss of both parents because I was losing my father in physical form and then I was losing my mom because whatever relationship we did had sort of went completely down the toilet after he passed away. And so I went to therapy. I was diagnosed as being depressed. Um, I was, it was suggested that I go on antidepressants. And even though I didn't know a lot at that point, I knew that I wasn't suffering from a chemical imbalance. And I knew enough to know that if there was ever going to be a time in my life where I would become dependent on a substance to make me feel good, it would be that time because I was in such a dark place and felt so lost and hopeless. And so I chose to stop going to therapy. And um, because I'm a book lover and I love to read, I... (laughs) started reading Esther Hicks books because I watched the movie, The Secret. And so that was back in 2007. Mm -hmm. And I remember I was so, I was in such a dark place at that point that I watched that movie and instead of feeling inspired that I could have control of my life, I was completely pessimistic and thought that that movie was complete bull. And, um, but I guess there was something that intrigued me because I remember having a conversation with a friend of mine about the movie and, you know, talking about all the, all the things that were wrong with it and what I didn't understand about it. And she said that if I wanted to learn more about the law of attraction, that I should read Esther Hicks, Ask and It Is Given. And so that was the first of Esther Hicks books that I read. And once I read that book, it sort of pulled me down the rabbit hole of personal growth and spiritual development because um, I just wanted to learn more. And so after Esther Hicks, then I started reading Wayne, Wayne Dyer and all of these, and Louise Hay, all of these people gave me the knowledge and the tools to help me get myself out of that depression without the need for pharmaceuticals and um, give me more clarity in what it is that I really wanted for my life. Cause I don't think up until that point, I had that kind of clarity. I, before we continue with, because I really want to hear about how you got started with the book after having this journey, because I think it's important to like set that context. But before we get on back on that um, story, I just want to say, I was also diagnosed with depression with major depressive disorder, actually. And I, for the first, I think I was diagnosed maybe 10 years ago. And for the first seven years after my diagnosis, I was completely like, I did not want to take pharmaceuticals as well. Right. So my psychotherapist would be like, my my psychiatrist actually, and psychotherapist, she's both. Um, She would tell me, you you need to, I mean, there's a chemical imbalance. And I would be like, no, there's no way. And I would just like (laughs) exercise. And I would also read a lot of books and I would be trying to, you know, um, doing a lot of spiritual search as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in my case, I had a really big and like really strong crisis back in 2018. And at that time, like she said to me, like, I, please, I beg you just take the pills. Right. Um, and I did. And I can say that that saved my life. So and I didn't, I don't have to take them forever. It was just for a period of time. 
Um, yes. But in my case, and I just wanted just to comment on that because um, I think it's important for, you know, pills, I understand what you're telling me, but sometimes pharmaceuticals are just definitely needed. Right. And, um, and I think that that's why I say that I knew that I, like the chemical imbalance wasn't your case, what my challenge was. Mm -hmm. It was that I simply didn't have the tools to, um, deal with the experiences that I was going through at that time. And, um, even for me to go to therapy was, um, it had stigma to it as well. You know, you know, never mind aside from taking pills to deal with the the situation, I had friends and family that didn't understand why I need to pay a complete stranger to talk about what I was experiencing and what I was going through because they, they just didn't get it. And I think that it's important to realize that we can all get to a place where we need help in some way, shape or form, whether that's pharmaceutical help or professional help of whatever kind, that it isn't always possible to deal with things on our own. Mm-hmm. You're, you're absolutely right. And I think it's interesting what you just mentioned, you know, people around you saying, why would you want to like pay somebody else, like a stranger <laughs> to talk to like, yeah. talk to me. You're you going to tell them your problems? Yeah. Like, <laughs> Pick up yeah. your phone, call your, I don't know, sibling or your yeah. cousin or whoever, but somebody. Yeah. Um, in my case, it was the complete opposite. Uh, my parents were very encouraging of me going to see a, a psychotherapist. So I think it's interesting. Is, did that come, do you think that comes in your case specifically? Um, this might not be generalized for everyone, but do you think that comes from something that is cultural? Is it I, Absolutely a cultural thing. Yeah. Right where it's, um, you don't tell people your problems because it's an embarrassment to the family kind of thing. You know what I mean? And yeah. so it was from that perspective that people were just like, how... How can you have those kinds of conversations with somebody that isn't family, that is a complete stranger? When I think that sometimes it is necessary to have those kinds of conversations with someone who is distanced from the problem, you know what I mean? So they can have an unbiased perspective on what you're going through. Absolutely. I completely agree with you. So so you went uh, through this journey that you just uh, commented on, you explained and what prompted you to write the book? So after I wrote the article in the magazine, I was surprised, pleasantly surprised, by the complete strangers who reached out to me after reading the article to thank me for writing it because it gave them hope that they could deal with whatever grief that they were experiencing in their own lives. And um, I actually had an experience where I met up with two sisters who had lost their mother And we met up at a dessert place and spent like, I think, three hours there just talking about, you know, the experience of losing a parent and um, what that does to you and how to get yourself to that better feeling place. And so after receiving all these really positive um, feedback, you decided to write the book. I want to know the 12 steps. Is this something that you found during your journey? So the, the 12 steps are really the the major lessons that I, I saw that I had to learn in order to get to a place where I felt better about losing my father and how to deal with it. And so it was about, you know, the, the 12 steps are things like, you know, learning how to forgive people in a, in a real way, right? And not just saying, I forgive you, but really letting go of whatever emotions you're holding on to. And, um, you know, not having 
letting go of the need to judge people and that kind of stuff, the importance of self-love, like all of those things were things that um, I might have had some semblance that they were important, but they weren't things that I was practicing and working on until I got to that point where I was going through that experience of losing my father and trying to figure out what I was going to do with my life without him to guide me. Yeah, I completely understand. You know, there's, um, there's a quote by Brené Brown, I believe. It says, one day you will tell the story of how you overcame what you went through and it will be someone else's survival guide. Yeah. And so that was the real inspiration for the book was if I could impact people with two pages in a magazine, you know, what kind of impact could I have on people's lives if I wrote a real book? And so that's what really sort of sparked the flame to, to write the book. That's really interesting. And so what have you been doing since then? Because I know you're a coach. Yes. And so I, I do speaking engagements. I, I still write. I, I blog. And um, I coach. I do one-on-one coaching. I do group coaching. And then I also have my own podcast where I speak with women who have gone through something in their lives that has sort of, you know, thrown them completely off track and they share that experience, what it did to them and how they were able to, um, and what that experience did for them in a positive way. So even though it seemed like, you know, the worst thing that could ever happen to them, it's, um, the silver lining to that experience is that it led them, led them down a path to something unexpected and something better than they would have imagined for themselves before that experience happened. And I think that hearing those stories gives people hope, you know what I mean? Because I think we all go through something at some point in our lives where we think that it's hopeless and there's no point and we're never going to get through it. And so to hear the, the many stories of women who have been through all kinds of spirit crushing experiences and to hear them say, it happened, it was horrible, but I did learn something from it. And I, it has taken me on the path to where I am today and I'm grateful for it is a, is a really beautiful thing. Absolutely. I mean, that's also one of the reasons why I do my podcast because I feel that um, child, people in the childhood community usually feel very alone in their choice sometimes. Yes. So it's just to show that there's a lot more of us out there and that we live, you know, very happy and fulfilling life. <laughs> right. It is possible. <laughs> it is very possible. You don't have to have kids, but we'll talk about that in a bit. Before I get to that, um, I wanted to ask you from these stories that you were telling me about women who have, or is it just women that you interview? For now, yes. Okay. So women who have had this uh, life-changing event happen to them. What type of stories have you encountered like in general? Just what type of- So in general, I've had stories from near-death experiences, whether that was illness, like unexpected illness or a terminal diagnosis and how they were able to turn that around. There have been women who have had multiple miscarriages and how they've um, dealt with that experience. And yeah, and even women who talk about their struggles with mental wellness and how they've been able to find tools and what they've done to, to manage that and get them to a better place. Those wow. are the kinds of stories. Yeah. Yeah. I bet they're really inspiring. Um, oh yeah. Because sometimes you hear the stories and you think to yourself, there is no way that I would have ever been able to survive something like that. And yet you have these women who are telling the story and they're, 
they're joyful and they're laughing about it. And yeah. I think that that's um, a beautiful thing. You know, I always tell my clients, you don't know it until you're, until you have to. Yes. You know, you don't know how strong you are until you actually have to face one of these uh, situations. Situations. And I, um, I think that that was, um, that was what I learned in the loss of my dad was that I don't think I had a real comprehension of how strong I was until I didn't have him to depend on, to fall back on yeah. emotionally for things. You know what I mean? Because now he's not here. So what am I going to do? And I realized that it wasn't um, as hopeless as I I thought it was when he first passed. And to be honest, I think that's the generality. People don't really, they, people in general just completely underestimate how strong they are. Yes. Most of the time. So I think it's important to showcase stories like that I love hearing stories of people who have gone through like really terrible situations, not to feel good about how bad they've had it, but to feel good about how well they came out to on the other side. Yeah, that they were able to overcome it and learn something from it and um, create yeah. something because that's, better than, yeah. That's human nature in the end, yes. right? That's why we're here. You're listening to The Honest Upward a podcast where modern, child-free women share their life stories and where we discuss important topics for the kid-free community. Let's talk about why you decided to be child-free. <laughs> I am, um, to be honest, so I, I need to rewind a bit. So I, when I was 20 years old, I found out I was adopted and, um, it rocked my world. Wow. And, uh, wow. and so I would say, so from that point of 20, when I found out that I was adopted until I would say some point in my mid thirties, I was pretty convinced that I did want a child and I wanted a child because I wanted something that was mine. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like it was this whole idea of everyone around me, even family, people that I, that I grew up with as family were not related to me by blood. Mm -hmm. And, um, and that really messed with me for a really long time. And there was a point in my life where I felt like the only way that I could really have family would be to have a child of my own. Mm -hmm. And I think that um, it was in losing my father and realizing how much he loved me and how, and the love I had for him that I realized that um, you didn't have to be blood in order to have that kind of love for someone, right? So it was, yeah. um, I had to challenge my own perceptions of what even parenthood would look like. Do you know what I mean? Because for a long time, I felt like it had to be that I would have to give birth to a child in order to feel like we were connected and that there was a common thread. Mm -hmm. And then I had to... Um, question all of that just because of the relationship I had with my father, because he wasn't my biological father, yet he was, um, like the unconditional love he had for me is something that I would never trade for anything. Do you know what I mean? And so to know that he was able to do that when I wasn't his biological child tells me that I don't need to have a child of my own in order to have that kind of love for somebody else. Absolutely. So that you know, was when you decided you didn't want, you were like, oh, I can love without having that tie. 
it made me question whether or not the importance of having a child of my own. Mm -hmm. And then um, I'm married now. I'm only married for a year, but mm -hmm. my husband has a 23 year old. And um, so it was a conversation with him about, you know, do you really want kids? And having that honest conversation about, you know, I'm not really interested in doing diapers and all that kind of stuff again. And really, you know, looking at what's more important to have a child or to, to be in this relationship because that relationship has been around for a long time. And um, so is it, am I willing to scrap that because he's not interested in fatherhood in order to, to have something that's mine? And I think that, um, yeah, you just have to really challenge what's important to you. And I think that um, the older I get, the more I realize from maybe a selfish perspective that being child-free gives us freedom that we wouldn't necessarily have if we did have kids, um, you know? So it's just about embracing that and not, um, and not feeling like you're missing out. And I know that I have friends who, you know, question, you know, you know, what's your legacy going to be if you don't have kids? And I'm like, I don't, who wouldn't want to put that kind of pressure on a child to be wow. like, you're going to be my legacy and you have to, you know, I don't, I wouldn't want to do that to a child, even if I did have one. Mm -hmm. So, um, that's not, um, that would never be my reason for having a child. And I think that, yeah, right now it's just that it just makes sense not to do it. And, um, I would say though, there was a point where once you accept that and you, you've come to terms with that, that there was a bit of, there was a bit of grieving that happened to know wow. that the, um, the idea of having or being a mother wasn't going to happen anymore. That's interesting though, because um, most of the women I've spoken to, most of the child-free women I've spoken to, they haven't told me they feel any type of, of grieving. Hmm. I think grieving comes more with women who are childless. So they try to have a child. They have, for some whatever reasons, you know. Can't. They can. Yeah. For whatever reasons, they can't. They don't want to adopt or foster. Um, so they come to terms with the fact that they're not going to have a biological child. And then they become child-free by circumstance. And there is a period of grieving there. But normally, what I've seen in child-free women, child-free by, by choice, choice, it's, there isn't any grieving involved. Um, so that's quite interesting. But I understand also because you just told me that there was a time in your life that you really yearned for a child. Yeah, and so it was connection. just getting to that place where it's like, okay, because it's one thing to tell yourself logically that yeah. that's not really important anymore, right? But to get to that point where you're like, okay, you know, I'm hitting 40 now and you know, you know, you're like, okay, do I really want to attempt to do that now? Because I don't want to put myself through that emotional roller coaster of, am I, am I not, do I want to do IVF and all that kind of stuff? Like that was never anything that I wanted to entertain. So from that point of view, I knew that I didn't want it bad enough to, you know, by any means necessary, make it happen. Yeah. And, um, but yeah, it was just sort of letting go of that idea that it was a possibility. And other than, than asking you what your legacy is going to be, what other reactions have you gotten from the people around you? 
um, who's going to take care of me when I get old? Yeah, that's, <laughs> <laughs> yep, that's very common. <laughs> that's, um, I think, the number one. And um, it's funny, though, because my mom, the mother who I'm not that close to, is she's the biggest one to ask me that question. Mm-hmm. And I think it's ironic because I'm not that close to her. And I'm like, so what makes you think that my child would want to take care of me when I'm old, when I'm not at a place in my life where I want to take care of you? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's just um, like to think that you're, you're feeling obligated to do that because of the fact that that's your parent. I don't think that that's reasonable or fair. Yeah, I completely agree with you. Totally agree with you. Um, I wanted to circle back and ask you about, you know, you found out that you were adopted when you were 20, right? Yeah. How, how did it happen? Did it, some, did somebody told you at the time or? My, my mother told me mm-hmm. and um, I always say that I think the reason why she told me at that point was that there were too many hints that something wasn't quite right. Meaning that um, I would go to places and have people tell me that they'd met, they'd met somebody who looked like me or that they would swear that they had met me before. And so I think that my mother feared that at some point I was going to meet up on somebody who looked too much like me for there not to be questions about who that person was. So that was her reason for, for telling me. Right. And did you ever go looking for your biological parents? I did. I found my biological mother. Mm-hmm. I haven't... Um, I'm still on the hunt for my biological father, mm-hmm. but I found my mother and um, I have three brothers, so three younger brothers from my biological mother. Mm-hmm. Um, she was in the States when I found her, um, but she's now in Canada in the same city that I, that I live in. And so are my three brothers. And so I grew up an only child and now I have three brothers and 16 nieces and nephews. Wow. So, wow. You found a big family. Yeah. And you have um, a relationship with them now. Yeah. I mean, it's not, uh, I don't think as close as a regular sibling relationship would be, but we do, have a relationship. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I've heard some child-free women say, if I ever, like ever decide to change my mind, I would definitely adopt. Yes. Um, and this is something that I hear over and over. Of course, this is a very hypothetical situation, especially right. for like hardcore child-free people, but yes. you can always change your mind. You know, we can't, we can't say we're human. Uh, so my question to yeah, you... Yeah, things happen. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So my question to you would be, did you ever entertain that? I did. Um, adoption, fostering, things, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. And I think, though, more so, especially at this point in my life, it wouldn't be adopting a baby. It would be a child older, because I know that there's a greater need for that, too. Yeah. Yeah. That's more or less the same thing that I get from our childhood. Yeah. Like, I would adopt an older child. Yes. Because those are the ones that get overlooked in the system. Yeah. And also babies gross me out. <laughs> Basically. <laughs> I'm just yes. paraphrasing here. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not grossed out by babies personally, but I don't want to have my own. So. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, um, a couple ahead. months ago, 
we had um, a friend and his partner had a baby and he wanted to come up here to do stuff and he was saying to my husband that maybe I could go stay with his partner and help her with the baby and I laughed because I mean I get it that some probably a lot of men out there think that that's something that women yearn for to you know be around babies and help with babies and I was saying to my husband I'm like I am 45 years old and have never changed a diaper (laughs) (laughs) and I don't want to start now yeah (laughs) the, the whole idea of going to visit a newborn and helping take care of a newborn is yeah I'll hold her I'll feed her but yeah the diaper changes I might um go missing action for big pass like hard pass on that (laughs) absolutely is how about your friends do they have also do they also have children do you have friends who are also child free um no most of my friends have kids Mm -hmm. and some are are like young like five or six maybe the youngest and then the oldest being like 27 28 (laughs) wow so yeah like the full spectrum right so I've got friends that are empty nesters and then friends that are, yeah, have little ones still, still at home. Did you find that your relationship with your friends changed a lot after they had, they had children? Some, some of them. Yeah. Some, especially once they had more, more than one, right? So when they started having three and four, then, um, then the relationship isn't quite the same because their lives are very busy (laughs) with, um, raising the kids and stuff. So I guess it's um, more challenging to make that time for yourself. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the things that I hear child-free women talk about a lot. And it's it's like, oh, my friend's pregnant. I just like that immediately equals, I just lost my friend because she's going to be, of course, you know, taking care of a newborn or, you know, even a toddler. It's quite time time consuming. Yes. And that, that still weighs a lot more on the female that on the male, you know, talking about yeah. parenting specifically. Like Absolutely. you just said, you know, like, oh, oh do you, Sandra, do you want to go and change the baby's diaper? Like, why? <laughs> yeah. it because I'm a woman, you're asking? Yeah. No. <laughs> um, yeah, so so they say, you know, they, they lose friendships or friendships, if they don't lose them, they change. In my case specifically, um, I definitely lost friends because they become parents and it's just not the same um, there is this lot you can't do the same activities they have to plan it with in advance you have to you know have the nanny find the sitter and all that stuff and it's and then and then people are like okay i need to get me some childhood friends and finding (laughs) childhood friends is not as easy as one no um so is that do you have any childhood friends in your circle of friends um well i would say the child-free friends at this point are more the the friends who have kids that have grown up and have their own lives. Yeah, the empty nesters. Then. Yeah. And is t- where you live, do you see a lot of people also like with babies all over the place? No, no. This is um, more older people, seniors, maybe. But yeah, not so many little ones. Oh, okay. That's interesting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, um, yeah. I think that if it was a, a newer neighborhood, mm-hmm. that there probably would be more young kids around but not so much in our neighborhood yeah well I don't know I just 
there was a time, I mean, right now we're, of course, we're still during the whole uh, COVID, COVID, yeah. the COVID thing, you know, not a lot of people are out and about, especially not with young kids. But I remember before I would just see babies everywhere. Um, and that always got me thinking about how conditioned women are since we are basically born that we're going to become mothers. Yes. So what do you think about that? I think that that's changing. In I Canada? Think that, um, well, maybe, yeah. Mm-hmm. Here. Yeah, that there's not so much. But I think that there's always going to be, you know, that feeling like it's it's a given, right? That you're going to, um, whether you go to school or not, that at some point you're going to get married and have babies and, you know, do the whole traditional family thing. But I think, well, from my from what I see anyway, that more women are choosing to not go that path yeah and be okay with it yes but that is i would say that is more in developed developed countries like canada the u.s europe western europe unfortunately it's not the case in south america right. Africa, asia yeah. we still have a, lot, a long way to go in that sense but you know we're getting there. oh i know because um we were in jamaica last year that's where we got married and uh, we met up with a family friend's mom, and she was like, "Oh, now you can have babies." <laughs> yeah. um, number one, we've been living together for seventeen years, so I don't know if that was what was holding us back from not having the babies was the marriage thing. But <laughs> there are a lot of people who they're like, "You have to be like they say, marriage equals when are the kids coming, right?" Yeah. It's funny, but it is definitely a cultural thing. I, I think that kind of happens everywhere. Like the next step, you got married. Next step, what is the next step to have children? Right. And then, and that's when I have to say, do you know how old I am? Like I, that, that ship has <laughs> sailed. sailed. It's docked somewhere else in a land far, far away. It's not, um, it's not on the agenda. Yeah, absolutely true. So... <clears throat> Well, Sandra, it's been a pleasure having you here on my show. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks for having me. Before I let you go, is there anything that you would like to add for my audience? Anything at all? No, I just, you know, whatever you choose to do, whether you're child-free or thinking about whether that's a reality you um, you want to have in your existence, it's really about looking at what's really important to you and what your values are and, um, there are lots of different ways to be a nurturer and be a caregiver and um, it doesn't have to be through motherhood. That is absolutely true. Thank you so much for your words. Now, Firecrackers, you can find Sandra uh, in her website. So it's embraceyourdestiny.ca. So you can find their articles, learn more about her and the programs and products she offers. And she's also on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Uh, I'll leave you the links in the description of this episode, as I always do. Thanks again, Sandra, for being here. It was a pleasure having you. Thank you for listening to The Honest Uproar, a podcast where modern, child-free women share their life stories and where we discuss important topics for the kid-free community. We hope you tune in next week for our newest episode. And since we love hanging out with you, please be sure to follow us on social media at The Honest Uproar and visit our website at thehonestuproar.com. 
If you like what you heard, feel free to share with your fierce, child-free firecracker friends. Until next time, continue fueling your inner fire.